0: And welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on field action. My name is Joe Lowry and I'm joined as always by Jordan Angeli. Jordan, how's it going? Good. How are you, Joe? I'm I'm quite well. We were just talking before we started recording. We both feel a little disconnected from the MLS world. You've been enjoying and, and having some time away from soccer, not watching as many games. I've mostly been watching the, the Euros <laughs> <All> the <games. laughs> with the Total Soccer Show, all the games. So I've been waking up early my time and watching some of that stuff. But I'm glad that we have a chance to reconnect to the MLS world and answer some of our listeners' questions. Because you guys brought it, as you always do. We have some good questions for uh-huh. this episode.
1: Yeah, and it brings us back in right before we get back from this international break. I know we did have one game this weekend. It kind of threw me off that we had a game over the weekend. Yeah. I was like, is this yeah, really that was... happening? What's going on? <laughs> I'm confused.
0: <laughs> it kind of felt like a fever dream as SKC racked up chance after chance after chance. But yeah. uh, I, I, I'm working on an article about Austin FC's defense, and I think that kind of fits in with, with the theme of that game. But we're not here to talk about SKC Austin, as as fun as I think that would be for Brad Stuver fans and... Fans of lots of shots on goal, we're here to answer questions. Jordan, this first one is from FCC analysis, FC Cincinnati analysis. Thinking of New Who's success so far this year, are there any MLS fullbacks who you think could benefit from playing as the right or left center back in a back three? I love this question, Jordan. I think this is so fun. Yeah,
1: it's a really fun question because I think both of us were a little taken aback at first when we did hear that this is how new who was playing. And, <laughs> yeah. and I, so I think it made it fun to think about who else could fit in that role. So let's go back and forth a little bit, Joe. Why don't you start with somebody sure. that you think would fit this?
0: Yeah. So the first player I have, and actually I want to preface all this with saying this has kind of been a little bit of a trend. Since mm-hmm. the last few seasons in Major League Soccer, not not with fullbacks going to full time center back roles, but at least to a center back in possession. Right. We've talked about it with Orlando right. City. They do it with John Moutinho. They did it with Kyle Smith. Kamal Miller has gone from left back to, to center back now with Montreal playing on the left side of their back three. There are a few other players in MLS who've done that. But my first guy is Nashville's Alistair Johnston. He's played right center back for Canada multiple times, and he plays right back for Nashville SC. So this is kind of cheating, but I do think he's capable of playing that role. He can hit an early cross, which is a nice asset for a center back. We're seeing that. I've seen that in the Euros a couple of times already over the last few days. He has a lot of experience playing in a more defensive role just because of how Nashville approach games He's not lightning fast, but he's fast enough that I'm not really concerned about him getting burned. I think he could do that right center back job in a back three pretty well.
1: Yeah. I went with, um, I think that's a good shout. And I went with, um, what I found intriguing is Portland bringing in two new outside backs, right? Van Rankin and Bravo both coming in. And I thought just what we've seen of them so far is their potential to get forward, but also... um, there's been moments personally where I feel like they haven't been the best defender. And I wouldn't say that New Who is the best defender, right? But when you're in wow. that back three, you have a little bit more support from players that are next to you when it transitions to a back five. So I thought either one of those players, like if Portland wants to show a different look, can Van Rankin and Van Rankin fall into one of those outside of the the center back positions or Bravo as well, because um the The benefit of that, too, is when you're dribbling forward, and we've talked about this with Nuhu, right? They're dribbling forward and they have more options because they're more centralized in that dribble forward. And especially Bravo, I think he's really good. He's really good on the dribble forward, but sometimes there is a lack of options for him to connect with. So that just might provide more options for him.
0: Well, and, and I like that a lot because what I've seen from Portland this year is them pinching those fullbacks in at times. Maybe mm-hmm. not Always deliberately, but giving those players freedom to make runs inside into that half space or even into the middle of the field. And that's one thing I was looking at when trying to answer this question is, are there fullbacks that spend a weird amount of time centrally? And we, yeah. we've seen it with George Bellow in Atlanta. We've seen it at, at times with other players this year. But the next guy I have, Bellow's, Bellow's too much of a winger to me to be a, a center back. But right. Ryan Hollingshead is the next guy that I have on this list. Yes. He plays everywhere, right? He plays everywhere. I'm certain he's played center back before at some point in a back three. There's just no way he hasn't. He, he's, oftentimes finding these spots inside. And he plays left back even though he's right-footed. So he mm-hmm. rarely is hugging that. Well, sometimes he we will, but he's not always staying super wide and overlapping and putting in crosses with that left foot. That's not really his game. I think he would work very well tucked in a little bit as a left center back or a right center back in a back three. He can pass. He can drive forward. He's comfortable in those different spaces, and that's why I think he'd make a good outside center back.
1: Wait, do you... um but I love that because I think that – and I'm saying wait because I feel like he's the best when he is going forward. Like he when he's making those crazy run, dribble runs centrally, he can do some really good things for Dallas. So I think that might be the best shout out of all of these that it could be the easiest transition into that spot. Plus, as you mentioned, he, does, he plays everywhere. So it's not as if <laughs> that he doesn't understand positional play. I think he's one of those players that – when Lucci is telling him or telling any player on the field, like this is your responsibilities. He is soaking all of that up because he knows, Hey, potentially I could be that player playing that position next game.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He's, he's so fluid with how he moves. And it seems to me when you watch him, that he has this really solid understanding of where to be and how to play with the, with the guys around him. So I I think he could work in that spot. Jordan, do you have a, do you have anybody else that you want to deposit into this conversation?
1: Well, you mentioned Austin earlier. We were talking about them. Is it too much to think that this could be a Nick Lima spot? I yes. mean, we want him no to play it's not inside, it's perfect right? <laughs> <laughs> um he he's just so he's good on the ball and he when he played as that inverted outside back, he's done so many good things as almost an additional center midfielder, and so I yeah. think that this puts him in a position where. You know, and there could be some fluidity on that side where if if he does dribble up and become a, a center midfielder, then the responsibility of the wing back maybe he fills in and becomes it becomes more of a four back, right? And I think that's what we're seeing more and more in in football and soccer these days, Joe. I don't know if you agree with this, but there's a fluidity in the formation changing, and it and it looks like um, so many different things throughout a game, and I think that. If Austin wants to use, utilize him, or if that is something that Lima could do, maybe they do start with a three back, but it, if he goes forward, it can transition into a little bit more, more of a four back um, with the wing back track tracking back a little bit more for him. So um, I don't know. I think that would be a really fun one.
0: I also had Nick Lima down just in my my short honorable mentions list because, yeah, he's done that center mid thing before shifting inside like you're talking about. I don't think it's that much of a stretch. He's not very tall, but he's built like a rectangle. And I think he could I think he could thrive as that right center back, making some of those runs, passing a little bit between the lines. I like that one a lot.
1: When you say tall, you mean just like to win aerial
0: duels? Yeah, yeah. So, I I personally so if, feel like sometimes that's overrated. Uh, yeah, well. I was
1: I was thinking about that too because I think I do think it's a good quality to have. Um but I I think that there is something to say about just knowing who is surrounding you. So if the player next to him is a little bit better, maybe that player always goes and cheer, challenges for the right, ball exactly. and Lima is the cover player, right? So um, I think there's ways to potentially work around that or um, you don't always have to win the ball in aerial duels, but you just have to make sure the player next to you doesn't win it. So um, is there <laughs> some strategery in that and, and figuring out how to, how to do that?
0: <laughs> oh, hey. oh, I love that, Jordan. I love that. Um, that's an that's just such an awesome question. I think it is really mm-hmm. indicative of, of a trend we're seeing inside Major League Soccer and around the world. I love that one. Uh, so yeah. thank you for sending that into us, FCC analysis. This next one. Jordan is from Tim Katz. He said, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on how the Red Bulls are progressing and executing Struber's system and where do you see them heading for the rest of the season? Does the progress or lack thereof shown over the first seven games suggest expectations were too low, too high, or just right? Jordan, this is a well, lot to tackle and we'll we'll break it down into some different parts as we go along here.
1: Yeah. Can I first apologize to New York Red Bulls fans for um my my very specific prediction at the beginning of the year about Aaron long, because I just feel like I didn't, I, I wasn't hoping that this was why he was out. Right. So we, we hope yeah. Aaron long is, is recovering well. And it's just a bummer to see him go out um, with that because I know I got some, I got some heat for that, that
0: one. You did um, get a little heat. You did get a, a little, little heat.
1: heat, which, which is good. It means people are engaged and listening and watching and have opinions. <laughs> and we like that. Right. So um, I just want to get that out there. Like, I hope he's yeah. doing well and that is not what yeah. I was meaning by that. I was hoping he would be playing with the national team. So um, anyways, to move on, Joe, this is, a, <laughs> this is a loaded question. Where where do you think we should start with this?
0: I want to start you got in my that last stacked, phrase. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, have, I have some numbers here. I want to start with that last phrase, though. Does the progress or lack thereof shown so far this year suggest expectations were too low, too high, or just right? I... I don't really know the answer to that part of the question because I don't, it's hard to say if expectations were too high, too low. I know some people thought the Red Bulls were going to be, you know, top couple teams in the East. Uh, I personally didn't have super high expectations for them with, with the coaching change at the end of last season and, and some roster turnover happening and a lot of young guys. They're ninth in the East right now, averaging just over one point per game. And I think I would say maybe they'll be a little higher than that. I, I would have had them maybe the tail edge of the playoffs, the the bottom of that. But for me, the expectations, I guess, are just right so far. But it's really hard to say for that part, Jordan, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I think that the beginning of this question where it's asking, like, one of the things that when, when we got this question, I was like, ooh, this is a Joe question because I feel like he can find <laughs> some of those. Those like nuanced stats that he has to say, okay, this is what's going well. Because if you look at the results, they're getting some good results, but yeah. uh, that doesn't necessarily always mean implementation of the system. That could just right. mean execution of chances.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I do, I do have a couple of numbers that I think should be encouraging for Red Bull fans. So the the first one, and really the main one that I have, defensively, the New York Red Bulls are first in Major League Soccer in terms of pressures this season. So they're, they're really active in how they step forward and get pressure on the ball. That's a huge component Mm -hmm. of Gerhard Struber's system. That is Red Bull through and through. And that's the kind of coach that he is. He's here to have this team press aggressively. So that's, that's stat one. And then stat two that goes right in hand with that one is the Red Bulls are third in MLS in terms of winning the ball within five seconds of pressuring. I think they're behind LAFC and maybe one other team. I I can't remember who it is. But that's good, right? That shows progress from preseason to seven games into this year of them being able to go out there and execute the system. I think those are, are good numbers and show that that the Red Bulls are moving forward and how they understand how to play Red Bull soccer. And a lot of these guys have done it before, but it's going to be slightly different under a new manager. Those are, those are positive signs for me.
1: Those are incredibly positive signs because it's, it's meaning one, one that they're fit enough to do that. Joe, the the amount of fitness that you have to play to have to have to play in a Red Bull system is um, very high. And the fact that they're top three in both of those Um, categories that you just mentioned means that they're fit enough so they can start executing the way that Struber wants to, to play. And I think that if, you know, everybody who, when you think of Red Bulls and how they play, well, those are two of the top things that you think, do you win the ball that quickly? Do you press well together high up the field as a unit? And so I would say, especially right now, and into this three week international break, I just think about all the work these teams have been putting in for these three weeks and how much better they're going to look coming into this next part of season because they've gotten to train. It's almost like a little mini preseason again.
0: Do you think Do you think that's going to affect the quality, right? You're talking about these teams being yeah. better, and I, I think that's true. Do you? So I guess you're thinking it's going to be a positive change rather than yeah. we've had three weeks off, we haven't been playing actual games. You don't think there's going to be a rust involved with that?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I think it maybe depends on the teams, but a, a lot of the time these teams are keeping the same rhythm, right? You're not playing against another MLS team, or maybe you are. I think there was a couple of teams who, who put in a scrimmage there. I can't remember who it was at, hmm. off the top of my head, but you're playing an inner squad. You're keeping the rhythm of a work week um, to keep that type of, all right, we're leading into a match, we're working and preparing and training and then we're playing a 90 minute game. So that I would right. say most likely most of them are doing some form of that type of, of lead up through the week. I don't think so. And I guess maybe I'm just, I'm very, I, I'm very aware of like how Columbus works because that's where I work. And I know that hmm. Caleb Porter and, and the the coaching staff there like relish these times because if you think of 2020, every time there was a break, and they came back, they were solid, like really good. Came back, MLS is back, really good. And so I think it's that training and getting the rhythm of um, what it's like to progress down the field as a unit to the runs in the box that a teammate likes to make, those things that you might not get when you're playing a Wednesday game, Saturday game, Wednesday game, Saturday game, which which May was for a lot of teams, right? It was a lot yeah. of games. So. I think that I think personally that the more training will help it look a little bit more when you're talking about implementing a system. I think these yeah. system like teams are going to be better coming out of this
0: break. No, I think that's a really good point. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see that. I think with the yeah. Red Bulls, <laughs> they could look even more comfortable in that four, four, two diamond that they've used yeah. in almost every game this season. They've used a couple other positional alignments. They used a back three against the galaxy and kind of a weird front three in their last game, I believe against Toronto, but I, I think the passing combinations that we're starting to see between Frankie Amaya and Caden Clark, with with weirdly Amaya playing more as the ten and Clark playing more as that left sided eight, that's been a little strange to me. It flipped in the last game before this break. Mm. So I, I'm curious to just keep an eye on that. It seems like Clark is a better fit for that ten in, in at least how I view him. But either way, looking ahead to the rest of the season, I don't I don't know if the Red Bulls have an incredibly high ceiling, losing Aaron Long very hard. That sucks. It's really unfortunate for, for everybody there, especially Aaron Long. I don't know if they have a reliable goal scorer, and that has me a little concerned about this team. You think about the best Red Bull teams, and they had Bradley Wright Phillips, yeah. right? So at least right. the best <laughs> Red Bull teams in recent history. But I yeah. do like what Struber has done so far. I like the way that they have adapted to his way of playing. I think this team's going to continue to be just awful to play against throughout the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, you're going to be up against it when you go play against them <laughs> for sure, which is what
0: they want. That's exactly yeah. what they want. And that's a big part yep. of, of adapting to a Red Bull style of play, which again, weird because a lot of these guys have done it before, but, but still worth talking about. Yep. Jordan, question three that we have on this episode. This is from the underscore MLS, not associated with the official league account. Which MLS stars should we watch out for at the Euros, Copa America, and the gold? Cup. This is a very on-brand question for me right now, as I'm fully immersed in the European soccer world. Mm-hmm. Jordan, I mm-hmm. want to start with you though. Do you have any any players that you're specifically looking forward to watching at some of these tournaments, or interested in telling other people to go out and pay attention to?
1: Yeah, I um and Joe, I know you talked about the men's national team. I'm going to start in the U.S. Right? How about that? Sure. I'm start yeah. with, with the Gold Cup in the U.S. Men's National Team. Um, not convinced about the center back situation with the United hmm. States right now. So the player that I think people should watch for, and we've seen him play at the national team level, is Walker Zimmerman. Can he come in and be, you know, he is the guy in Nashville. He has been the guy in MLS as far as center backs go, I would say, for the last few years. Like, you can see how LAFC misses him in the last couple years in his absence going to Nashville. I think that there is an opportunity here for Walker Zimmerman to come in and continue to play well with his club team, but then show up in the Gold Cup and say, Don't forget about me. Like, I, I should be in the mix of this. So, I don't know. You, you talked a little bit more about the men's national team. So maybe you have a thought about that, but that's, that's one of the people that I'm looking for, forward to watching and seeing how he performs in big games.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially without Aaron Long in the pool right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying Aaron Long is a game-changing center back at the international level because I don't necessarily think that he is. But there's a spot open on the depth chart that wasn't open before. And, And as I see it, there's a good chance for Walker Zimmerman or Matt Miazga to compete for a depth option on an important roster. And maybe Chris Richards will get healthy and he'll take that spot and it'll be Matt, uh, Mark McKenzie, excuse me, Chris Richards, John Brooks, and, and Tim Ream. But Tim Ream's maybe not a lock for that group either. So there is a chance for Walker Zimmerman certainly to come into the Gold Cup and show that he can be a difference maker on set pieces, that he can bring the ball out of the back comfortably. The Gold Cup is going to be weird, though, for a lot of these countries, and and for the U.S. included, because there's been Nations League for U.S., Mexico, Honduras, Costa Rica. So that's a lot of games that they've just played, It's at least some games they've just played. Then there's been World Cup qualifiers for teams like Canada and a lot of the smaller nations that they've brought in their best players because these are important games. I don't know really who we're going to see in the Gold Cup for a lot of those other countries. For the U.S., I'm excited to see James Sands, hopefully. He could be a center back option or a six option. Eric Williamson, Leon Flock. Uh, there are a lot of players, but those three sixes, mm-hmm. eights, or center back. If you're James Sands, I think those are all players I'm looking forward to. Jordan, any other Gold Cup or U.S. guys before uh, I briefly spout about Euros and Copa America?
1: Well, that's a that's a really good point because you just don't we don't know who's going to go in. But I I yeah. love watching Mark Anthony K. and I think yes. Canada. I think he's one of the players that if if you look at this Canada roster they they should be really fun to watch, right? They have so many players that um play in MLS, that have played in MLS and now play um in various leagues across the world. This is a Canada team who looks to be their like almost golden generation, right? This this team should be successful. And I think Mark Anthony K and what he can put into the midfield alongside, you know, Asorio next to him or in front of him, there could be some really fun combinations and some really um, important defensive tactics that he's going to have to implement in order for Canada to do well. So I think Mark Anthony K is a player to watch.
0: Yeah, I'm totally with you. Any game that has Mark Anthony K in it, I'm likely <laughs> to watch because watch he's just so much fun. <laughs> For yeah, so the Euros, yeah. for me, and this this tournament's already underway, there are six MLS guys there. A lot of them aren't really going to play, but the one that has already played and I think will continue to be a starter for his team is Robin Ludd with Finland. Uh, they had that that really unfortunate and awful game against Denmark, and, and it's hard to draw too much away from that as Christian Eriksen collapsed on the field and now is stable, which is just an incredible blessing yeah. But Finland in that game, they defended in a 5-3-2. Robin Ludd plays as a right center mid or, or left center mid, which is different than the role he plays for Minnesota United. So it's fun to watch him in a little bit of a different spot and see some different qualities that he has but there's not too much MLS-wise in the Euros this year, Mm -hmm. which is, yeah, it is what it is. Copa America, I just have a couple names before I flip it to you, Jordan. Pedro Gaese for Orlando City uh, is the starting goalkeeper for Peru. He's been one of the best shot stoppers in all of Major League Soccer this year. He saved three-plus goals more than what would have been expected. So he's he's third in MLS this year in that metric. And I I think that's incredible. And then Sebas Mendes for Ecuador. He started against Colombia yesterday in the Copa America. He's been so good for Orlando as well. Hoovering up everything in midfield, passing the ball, really energetic. He's a guy that I absolutely love to watch.
1: Did we talk about him last week?
0: Two yeah, we talked ago? about him a couple weeks ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, the other player that I was watching in Copa America, I saw a little bit of the um, Venezuela game against Brazil. Mm. Was that right? Venezuela, yeah, Brazil? Yep. And uh, our our guy, Jose Martinez, uh, the wildcat in there, he was playing a little bit of a different position, as you mentioned, with Ludd. I saw him playing more on the, like, as a midfielder, but on the outside. I don't yeah. know if you caught any of that game, which is really interesting because I think um, you, don't, you don't think of him as, you have to have a little bit more of a playmaking ability, I think, when you're playing in that spot and a crossing ability. We don't see that from him in philly as he's playing the six and he's holding it down and he's um having tackles that make us go um so how can they implement that so he's i like watching him i think he teeters on that edge of wild and crazy but also very good at what he does and uh that's an edge that's fun to watch so i i think uh jose martinez with venezuela is a fun one to watch too
0: I love that. Yeah. Venezuela have a bunch of MLS guys and they've had a couple of them. Mm-hmm. I, I believe Joseph Martinez included that have been ruled out for this tournament because of COVID. And it's been a whole, whole thing for Venezuela, yeah. but lots of MLS guys even still in that group. And then Gaston Jimenez with Paraguay as well. I, I'd forgotten about him, but he's a, a regular starter for them in midfield. I love watching him with the fire. Lots of, mm-hmm. lots of rooting interest. If you're wearing that Roblo MLS hat, I know it's an NFL hat that he's wearing in that meme. But if you're wearing your MLS <laughs> brand league apparel, there are right. lots of players for you to go watch around tournaments this summer. Jordan, we got a couple more quickly here. This one's from Jared. Who's the MLS player currently most similar to Tyler Adams? Mm. What do you think? Any any Tyler Adams lights in MLS right now?
1: Okay, so I was thinking about, okay, what does Tyler Adams do that um, would be characteristics that you could transfer to somebody else, right? Um, he covers ground. He is yep. solid defensively, and I think really his ability to pa- pick a pass going forward is one of the things that I think most about Tyler Adams, right? He, he has those line-cutting passes that are important. So um, I picked two players. I don't know if, if you agree with this. I think Eric Williamson could be a player that is a little bit like has some Tyler Adams-esque Moves, movements, and <laughs> abilities, um, and then I have Atuesta. I thought Atuesta might be the best one that maybe plays a similar position, can really dictate the tempo and the the pace on the field. But the thing that Tyler Adams also does that I don't think either one of those players does, he plays in different positions. Right? We see him hmm. um, sometimes he's played outside back or um, a little bit, in and um, just various positions within the structure of his teams. And I don't think either one of those players can. So, Um, but covering ground, um, good, solid defensive work and ability to pick out passes. I thought those two could be good.
0: Yeah. I I think they both, they both do share qualities with Adams, right? Eric Williamson has the, he, he's mobile and he pops up in spots where you don't necessarily right. expect him to, right? And Atuesta is the tempo setter for LAFC, or he has been in the past. I think both of those guys bring more on-ball quality than Tyler Adams, right? I wish. Yeah. A, a Tyler Adams, Edward Atuesta hybrid, good gracious, immediately Ooh. my favorite soccer player <laughs> of all time, right? If we can make that happen, and he toss Eric yeah. Williamson's slaloming dribbling ability, yeah. I think that would make the perfect central midfielder. I, I think for me, I look at guys that have maybe a little bit more defensive intensity and less offensive skill, right? Ideally, in a perfect way, you have a blend of the two. But I I even think about a guy like Leon Flock for the Union. I just mentioned him as a player I'm hoping to pay attention to in the Gold Cup for the United States. He he plays a couple different positions, right? He plays six, he plays eight, he can play left back. And that's Tyler Adams-esque, just on the left instead of the Right. He also right. is just everywhere. He's like a buzzsaw in midfield. He covers so much ground. He gets into a ton of challenges. I don't think he's this plus, plus, plus passer, but he can get on the ball and move it. And I think that's what Tyler Adams does very well. So right. I, maybe, maybe maybe Flock, maybe a guy like James Sands. Again, I'm just spouting the same names, but I think these are players that have some of that defensive grit, but maybe are lacking a little bit in the offensive department in certain ways. I know we've seen improvement from some yeah. of these guys this year okay. still.
1: Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Maybe that was what I was looking at is like, okay, I, I think that they have these qualities of Adams, but I, I added in some extra qualities there too.
0: <laughs> well, but I still, I still like the idea of building this perfect midfielder and, and there are attributes yeah. that they share, right? There are absolutely totally, attributes yeah. that they share. It's just yeah. about how you think. I, I think. I think, sorry, sorry to cut you off there, Jordan. I think, I think Tyler Adams actually showed more. On ball ability than I typically give him credit for in that Costa Rica friendly that they had recently. And there wasn't a lot of intensity there. But I, I do think that maybe Adams is slowly developing into more of a metronome. Not not going to break you apart with his passes, but I, I think right. he does share more qualities with Atu and Williamson than I have historically given him credit for.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I was just going to say too, maybe this was just the section where Joe pitches Burhalter his uh, Gold Cup <laughs> roster.
0: <laughs> I'm happy to do that. I have thoughts. I have thoughts and I'm hoping to talk about those thoughts more as that tournament gets closer. Jordan, I like where your head's at. I really yeah, do. Yeah, our last, yeah. our last question. This one's from David Beffert. What MLS teams or academies do you think have the potential to break into the Dallas or Philadelphia tier of player development and transfers to Europe? This is a hopeful question to end on. One looking mm-hmm. to the future. Jordan, any, any academies or teams in MLS that you think are close to that stratosphere?
1: Well, I think, okay, I think Dallas is different than Philly because Philly hmm. sold two players. Yeah. Really, right? Philly has yeah. sold two players. Early. Da- yeah, yeah, and Dallas has sold uh, many players, but there are a lot of MLS academies that have built up as many academy players that Philadelphia has, just haven't sure. sold them. And so I think what I find really interesting, and I'm not really super into the nitty gritty of, um, academies systems and, and, and this and that, but I do see all the homegrown findings that are with every single team. What I find interesting is I think it's more likely that, um, I mean, the talent in the United States is so vast and so spread out. I think it's more likely that we are going to see, um, and we already have seen this players from Vancouver getting sold players from New York city getting sold. Um, I don't know if it's going to be just like one powerhouse of an academy. Hmm. So I felt like this was a really difficult question to answer because just my lack of knowledge of academies, but also it's not as if the signings into the first team aren't there. It's just, I don't know if the market has been there until recently to sell to bigger teams in Europe. So, that's was my thoughts on it
0: I think there will be a spread nature of how this happens right I think about Chicago right now and they have so much talent in that area but they haven't really been a a dominant youth production, youth development team. But now we're starting to see Brian Gutierrez, this young, creative, attacking player, get minutes for them, get starts for them. And it's possible that he plays the rest of the season, maybe plays next season and goes. We're starting to see even Minnesota, a team that's been so reluctant to do anything with their academy. We're starting to see a couple homegrowns pop up for them. And so we're going to see more and more of that. I think that can be true. And I also think we'll see the big areas like New York with the couple of teams they have there, like LA start Mm -hmm. to do more of this. I don't know which clubs are going to take it to the next level and actually sell and sell and sell. Dallas have sold consistently over the last few years, the union maybe can start doing that, but I don't think the track record is proven there yet. It's hard to predict what owners are going to appreciate that model like Dallas have Mm -hmm. done.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a a good point. And I, I thought of, New York City, I feel like they've already sold a couple of players, right? And I have a couple of players that could potentially sell, I sell, where I'm going to say it again, James Sands is one of those players, right? But then I also think about Toronto. If you look at the quality players Toronto has had from their homegrown signings that are still playing in their first team, if this would have been, if the market would have been what it is now, seven years ago, Osorio wouldn't be here. I think there would Hmm. be a lot of these these players that have become solid first team players for TFC that, that have found their way with the first team that might not have been there. So I think Toronto is a good example too, of just, they have a good Academy. It just hasn't been the selling production that Dallas has been. I don't know what's ha- I mean, Dallas has made a name for themselves. That's for sure. And they, they're producing yeah. quality players. So I just, I think the way that the United States is, is just different than I mean, England is so small, right? So the, the, the players are so condensed in these areas that the United States is just not like that. And to compare it to a small country like that, I just don't think is super, I don't know fair is the right word, but realistic.
0: It's a different ballgame, right? It's, it's a different It's, ball a, different, game. Yeah. it's a different thing. So I, I'm encouraged, though, even just thinking about some of these teams that are selling players. I love the Toronto example, Jordan. Historically, and even now, right? They have these young players that played big roles in CCL when they were when they were fun yeah. earlier this season. They're not as fun right. now, but there are there are talented youngsters popping up all over this league, and that makes me happy, Jordan doing this show with you makes me happy thank you for taking time out of your extended soccer spring break of sorts to talk about major league soccer and help me and and hopefully you get back into the mls world a little bit before games start in earnest this weekend
1: yeah this was so fun joe makes me happy too thanks for um a good conversation and you guys thanks for the questions it's always fun to answer your questions yeah
0: yeah you guys rock and we will be back again soon